Awesome, we've got your Bibles. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. We're going to pick up where we've been, where you've been during August. And uh, I'll tell you one quick story. Because somebody said, what's the deal with the wheel on that Jeep there? So... We were, we were going on a, a safari drive, um, and we were at one national reserve and transferring to another one. It was probably about a four-hour drive, and we were making the journey. And um, we stopped at this little, you know, souvenir tourist trap to buy a coffee, use the bathroom and stuff. And we get back in the Jeep, and the Jeep starts making noise. And uh, I can see the driver's trying to figure out what's going on. So he pulls over, he gets out, he climbs around the thing, gets back in, the noise is still happening. And so he puts on the four-way flashers and we're going slow down the highway, which is, you know, a highway is a relative term when you're in Kenya. And, um, and so he, he pulls over and he pauses again. And I said to him, I said, I, I think I can hear something's happening in the front right so maybe take a look there or whatever. So there's two of them. They're climbing around this vehicle. He gets underneath and he, he comes out and, and he says, yeah, there's a, there's a loose bolt. It's coming out of the propeller, which I thought, okay, that's not a term that we use, but I'm assuming the propeller is the drive shaft or something. So we started heading down the road and he's got the four-way flashers on and we're going half the speed we should be. And I'm totally annoyed. I'm like, we stinking paid for this trip and what is going on here? We're wasting time. And I began talking to the Lord in my heart, just saying, Lord, what is going on? And the Lord spoke to me, which doesn't happen. You know, you know when it happens, but it doesn't happen all the time. The Lord said to me, I'm protecting you and you're going to know why. And so I thought, okay. So we kept driving and we're getting passed by every, everything on the highway <laughs> And I'm getting angrier. I'm thinking, man, we're wasting time. We should be doing a game drive, this and that. And I start talking to the Lord again. And the Lord said to me, I'm protecting you and you're going to know why. And I'm like, okay, okay, Lord, sorry. I'll just have a good attitude in the midst of all of this. And uh, so we got probably close to two hours uh, down the road and we pulled into this little... Uh, mechanic shop which again is a relative term when you're in Kenya it's more like a woodshed in Canada and a lot of mud and a lot of just mess and the mechanic climbed under there and he said yeah it's the propeller and so I said okay well what, what's the plan and and they said well we're gonna we're gonna take you ahead into the park where you'll be staying and then we'll come we'll come back and we'll get the truck fixed so we turn down this road and we start heading down this road to the entrance of the park and it's more like maybe driving on the power lines in Canada. You know, it's like, we're just getting pounded in this Jeep and um, the front end's making this noise. And finally, we're in the middle of nowhere and we hit one pothole and that truck just buries right into the dirt. And, uh, and I thought, okay, well, thank you, Lord. You protected us because we were going, you know, five kilometers an hour, 10 kilometers an hour rather than 80 down the highway. And uh, gave me a chance to share with the guys what the Lord had spoken to my heart and how he'd protected us. And then we got loaded into uh, another Jeep with a, a Muslim couple from 
uh, Britain. So I shared with them how I had prayed and the Lord had protected us. And anyways, it was a fun adventure, okay? So that's what happened. Praise the Lord for looking after us. Okay, if you're visiting with us this morning, we've been going through uh, Colossians verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Uh, you continued on while we were away, and, and Blake took you through all of chapter 3, and I told him before we left, I'm like, man, I can't believe I'm going now, and you get to teach chapter 3, because it's the best chapter in the whole book of Colossians. It's like Paul has been building to this whole message of put on the new self, take off the old self, learn to serve uh, Christ, be alive in Christ. And so we're picking up this morning where you guys have left off over the last little while in chapter four in verse two. Let me read this to you again. In verse two, it says this, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Verse five, conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each person. So prior to this verse, Paul has been talking about putting on the new self, putting off the old self. He gave this instruction where you guys were two weeks ago uh, for well, in my Bible, it titles it Rules for Christian Households, but it was instruction to husbands, instruction uh, to wives, instruction to children, instruction to parents, instruction to masters and slaves or employers and employees. And Paul gave this instruction that whatever you do, do it with all your heart as working unto the Lord and not uh, for men. And then he gives this instruction about prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful with thanksgiving. So I think it's important that we tie this together, okay? And here's the thought that ties it together. You want to be a good spouse? Then you need to be in the place of prayer. You want to be a good child or have good parental children relationships? And you need to be in the place of prayer. You want to Honor God in the workplace, whether that's as an employer or an employee. The only way you're going to be able to do that is to be a man or woman of prayer. To take the posture uh, of what Paul is instructing and to say, Lord, I'm coming to you as a, as a husband. I'm coming to you as a, as a wife or as an employee or as a parent or in my relationship to my children. And I'm asking you to help me. I need you, Jesus. I want you to be honored in my house. I want you to be honored in my work. And so what Paul is saying here about prayer and its connection to the previous text makes me think of this. It makes me think there are two kinds of Christians. Really, there is. There's serving Christians who are focused on doing stuff. And there are abiding Christians who are focused on resting in Christ. You know, I always think of that when I think of doing and being. I always think of like that, that title that we're given, human beings. We're not called human doings, but human beings. And there are two types of ways that we can serve the Lord. We can serve him with a ministry of perspiration, which is sweat and effort and work. Or we can serve him with a ministry of inspiration, which is abiding in him for his power and his presence. 
And so Paul calls the church to put off the old self and to put on the new self as God's holy chosen ones. And he challenges husbands, he challenges wives, parents, children, workers, employers. And the call is not to strive for results in the flesh, but to be a spirit-empowered follower of Christ. And that happens from being in the place of prayer. He says, continue in prayer steadfast. Reminds me of that story of Mary and Martha. Luke chapter 10. Martha welcomed Jesus into her home. And she had a sister, Mary, who the scripture just tells us, sat at the feet of Jesus listening to his teaching. But Martha, Luke 10 tells us, was distracted with much serving. So she went to Jesus And she said to him, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Tell her to help me. And Jesus answered that famous answer, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. I always love that because Jesus said to her, you're troubled about many things. But there's just one thing that's needed, one thing that's necessary. And I think about when it comes to our marriages or our relationships to our children or to our parents or the burdens and pressures that come uh, with the workplace and making a living. You know, you can get so concerned about the many things that the one thing gets lost. Forget that there's one thing that is necessary And so the instruction from Paul from our text this morning is this. You have many things going on. You're a spouse. You're a worker. You're a parent. You're an employer. But there's really one thing that is necessary. So that you're not striving, but you're abiding in the Lord. Are you going to manage all these things in your life by your own perspiration or are you going to spend time with the Lord and get inspiration and this is why this instruction on prayer is so important this is why I'm glad we're going into the week of prayer I thought oh you know we could finish this whole chapter but I want to spend time talking about prayer this morning to encourage us to the places of prayer and the opportunities that are before us this week because God has created you to be in his presence The father sent his son to to rescue you from sin and to bring you into relationship with himself. And he did so so that you would no longer spend your life spinning your wheels like you're in the mud. Instead, he calls you to put on the new self, put off the old self. And it's not done by your striving. It's done by being with Jesus and abiding in his presence. Martha, Martha. You're anxious and troubled by many things. Martha was a distracted person by all the things that she had to do. You know what's amazing about that story is? Mary wasn't troubled at all. Mary had a lot of peace, I would say. And what was the key to Mary's peace? Well, it was this, time with Jesus. So let me ask you, church, what's troubling you? You know, how's your marriage? How's your relationship to your children? How's things going with your parents? What's happening in your workplace? Continue steadfastly 
in prayer like Paul instructs the Colossians. Because the Lord wants you abiding, not striving. He wants your service to him to be spirit-empowered. Your strength comes by his inspiration, not by your perspiration. And so Paul gives us some characteristics of this call to prayer. Again, firstly, he says this, continue steadfast. You know, prayer is a battle, isn't it? Prayer is like going to battle. When you go to prayer, it involves your, your mind, your, your mental state. It involves you physically. It involves your emotions. When you pray, your heart is involved. Your mind is involved. Your will is involved. You have to wrestle against your flesh. You know, sometimes when you pray, it's even a battle to stay awake and not go to sleep, isn't it? The Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John, they, they went to sleep and then they woke up to discover that Moses and Elijah were there with, with Jesus. In the Garden of Gethsemane, those same three men uh, three times were woken by Jesus and he said to them, could you not tarry for even one hour with me? Prayer is a battle and, and prayer requires faithfulness. So the call from Paul is this, don't quit. Don't quit praying. Don't quit relying on the Lord. Don't default to serving God by your perspiration and your own efforts. You know, one of the characteristics of the early church in the book of Acts was that we're told in, in chapter 1 and chapter 2 that they were devoted to prayer. It was what they did. It was what the body of Christ did. It was a characteristic of those early believers even the apostles raised up more leaders so that they could focus on the ministry of the word and of prayer. So Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer. And I think, well, why? You know, am I trying to, am I trying to wear God down here if I just keep being annoying and ask him and ask him and ask him? What are we trying to accomplish in prayer? Well, I want to remind you, the goal of prayer is not to wear God down to twist his arm, to get him to do what we're asking. I want to tell you this and remind you of this, that God's arm does not need twisting. The reason for steadfast continuance in prayer is that we need to be in a posture that leads to spirit empowerment, that leads to inspiration. We continue in prayer because that is what it is to abide in Christ. And it leads to fruitfulness. The second characteristic that Paul gives us of prayer is this. That he says, be watchful. Be watchful in prayer. And, and the idea is of vigilance. In contrast to being indifferent. Or being lazy. This is the idea of be awake rather than asleep. And it has this idea of expectancy attached to it. So give attention to prayer, Paul saying. Watch and pray. I'm reminded of Nehemiah when he was leading the people in the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem and the enemies of God's people stirred up opposition to the work of the Lord. Nehemiah and the people had to watch and pray. That's what Nehemiah tells us. In, in fact, in chapter 4, verse 9, it says this, And we prayed to our God, and we set a guard as a protection against them day and night. So there was a need to be alert in prayer. To watch and pray. When I think of the prayers that I've personally seen God answer, you know, there's typically an alertness, a watchfulness 
in that prayer when I see him answer. You know, I think about this. If there's, if there's no fire in the wood stove, the house will be cold. And that's like prayer. It involves a watchfulness. And so how do you stoke the fire? Well, verse three, uh, at verse 2 there, the third characteristic is that he says your prayer should be with thanksgiving. You know, thanksgiving, giving thanks to the Lord in the place of prayer is like putting a, a fresh piece of wood on the fire. Thanksgiving keeps the fire burning. There's so much to thank God for, isn't there? For his grace, for his salvation, for his rescue, uh, for the gift of eternal life, for forgiveness, for so many things. And the scripture even tells us that, that if God did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. Church, we have reasons to overflow with thanksgiving in the place of prayer. So much to be thankful for. Because the Lord, he's not a miser. You know, the Lord is not Scrooge. The Lord is not a penny pincher. The Lord is a gracious father who the word tells us is the source of every good and perfect gift. So let your prayers overflow with thanksgiving. You know, when I pray, there's two things I always want to try and express to the Lord. And this is just me, but I always uh, want to say, Lord, I thank you. I thank you. I want to give him thanks. And the second thing I always try to say to the Lord is, Lord, I need you. I want you to know that I recognize that I need you. So this type of prayer that Paul instructs the church leads to a church abiding in Christ. It leads to inspiration from the Spirit. It's the one thing that is necessary to equip us for the putting off of the old and living like a kingdom person. And so to me, reading this and thinking about Paul and his situation just reminds me of how he's such a great hero of the faith. Because remember, Paul gave these instructions and where is he? Where is he? He's in prison. He's in prison. He had been incarcerated for years, arrested in Jerusalem, spent three years on the coast of Israel under arrest in Caesarea, transported by ship to Rome. And in Rome, he was under arrest for at least two more years before he was killed. And so Paul is in prison and he's reminding people on the outside to be thankful in prayer. I'm like, man, that guy had a lot to complain about. Like when you think about someone with things to whine about in the place of prayer, this is Paul, okay? He could have been offering up the woe is me prayers. Do you ever bring those to the Lord, the woe is me prayers? Paul could have been doing the woe is me prayers, but he had learned that God can work in spite of how I might or you might interpret our circumstances. And I actually think that's part of the importance of prayer. Prayer gets us looking to God rather than navel-gazing at our circumstance. Prayer gets us asking, Lord, what is it you want to do in this situation rather than me bemoaning the situation I find myself in? Look at verse 3. He says this, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on which on, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it 
clear, which is how I ought to speak. So Paul says to the church, I ask you, when you pray, remember me. Remember me in the place of prayer. Now, he's in, he's in prison. He's in prison for preaching the gospel. Now, I just think if this was me and I'm in Paul's shoes or sandals or whatever he's wearing, you know, I would ask the church to pray. Pray that I get out of jail, you know. Pray that I get let out. Pray the doors of the prison would fly open and I would be able to escape. You know, pray that I would figure a way out of here. Pray that the prison guard would leave a spoon behind so I could tunnel out of here. Whatever it is, you know. And Paul asked them to pray, not for those things, but to pray for open doors. Not for the open doors of the prison, but for open doors for the word of God. This is important to learn this. That faithfulness to the word of God is more important than personal freedom. I want to say that again. Faithfulness to the word of God is more important than personal freedom. And the freedom that Paul desired was freedom to declare the word of God. And I think about Christ. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he didn't pray, Father, get me out of here. He prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And this is the example for us. And, and Paul follows the example of Christ, a good example of what we should pray for. He was looking for open doors for the gospel. So let me encourage you. What situation have you found yourself in? Don't be too quick to want to get out of that situation that you find yourself in. Rather, look around and pray and say, Lord, where's the open door that you've set for me to share the word of God? Paul wanted to declare the mystery of Christ. What is the mystery of Christ? It's not a secret hidden as we've seen throughout the book of Colossians. It's a secret to be declared. That in Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ is the rescue plan for all people Jew and Gentile alike. If you're hungry for truth, for wisdom, for freedom, for knowledge, for salvation, these treasures are found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven. He rose from the dead so that we could have eternal life. And by repentance of sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven and receive eternal life. And finding Jesus is kind of like, it's like finding buried treasure. Do you imagine finding buried treasure in a field? What would you do? You would sell everything you have to go and purchase that field so that the treasure could be yours. And in Christ, it's hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But you don't have to sell anything to purchase Christ. Salvation is his gift to you. But Christ will want this. He'll want everything that you have. That's what it costs to follow Christ. Everything. So Paul asked for prayer. He said pray that I would be able to speak clearly. And boldly to sinners about Jesus. And about his love for the lost. Discerning what to say. Discerning how to say it. When to say it. How much to say. Paul wanted the mystery to be discovered by by everyone he had the opportunity to be shared with. He didn't want to muddle it up with his words without being clear. 
He didn't want to muddle it up so it was misunderstood. In prison, Paul wanted to speak clearly. In fact, think about it. I mean, he was chained to a Roman soldier 24-7. Imagine that, chained to a soldier. Mealtime, you know, bedtime, got to go to the bathroom. Everything he did, he's got to say, hey, can I do this? Can I have permission? And imagine that soldier being chained to Paul. The soldier rolls into prison, you know, that morning, gets on duty, start of his work day. The commanding officer says, I got good news and I got bad news. He says, okay, let's start with the good news. Okay, good news is uh, you got a light duty day. It's going to be indoors. Okay, bad news. Yeah, bad news. You're going to be chained to a Jewish preacher and he's going to go all day long. <laughs> and the rest of the bad news, last three guys in this, they became Christians, you know. They're followers of Jesus now saying they've been born again and their sins are forgiven. They've received eternal life. So Paul's in prison. He's not praying to get out. He's praying for open doors for the gospel. Look at verse 5. He says this. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Making the best use of time. See that word outsiders? You might want to circle it or underline it in your Bible. It's an interesting term that Paul uses to describe people that aren't in the family of God. Jesus also used that term. Jesus said to his disciples that he, sh he shared the secrets of the kingdom with his disciples openly, but to those who were on the outside, he spoke in parables. Insiders are those who have been born again, born of the Spirit, they belong to the family of God and they share in the life of Christ. And given the context of Paul's situation in prison, I think it's pretty witty that he's talking about insiders and outsiders. It's a play on words because if you're in prison, where are you? You're on the inside and you're wanting to be on the outside. Paul's on the inside. He's praying for those on the outside. And the kingdom of God is in reverse. It's those who are on the inside that are free. Those, are on, those who are on the outside are those that are imprisoned and chained, chained to sin and death. And we need to pray for those on the outside. Be wise in the way that we act to those on the outside, that they would come to know the freedom of Christ and they would become insiders. So I kind of like this language, outsiders and insiders. You know, in the church, we tend to speak about, you know, Believers and non-believers, Christians and non-Christians. Jesus and Paul both spoke about insiders and outsiders. Remember life on the outside? Then you came inside, Christ came inside. And now insiders, insiders can be thankful that God has shown them grace and they've discovered who Christ is. In and insiders, they have no right to like develop this attitude of superiority to those that are on the outside. What Paul's saying is if you're on the inside, you actually have a responsibility to those on the outside. This is first off in the way that you walk, which speaks of the manner in which you live your life. He says, walk in wisdom. Which means not doing anything in action or speech that would make it difficult to share the gospel. I mean, this is 
rubber hitting the road kind of stuff. Our actions have to be controlled so that God, by his grace, can open doors for Christ to be shared. So walk in wisdom towards outsiders. To me, that involves like evaluating my steps, watching the paths that I'm taking, watching where I place my feet, because the implication is this, others are watching. We know this, right? Those on the outside are watching those who claim to be on the inside. They're watching. Your neighbors are watching. Your children are watching. Your unsaved spouse is watching. Your coworkers, they're watching. Your employer, they're watching. So Paul says, walk with wisdom. Wisdom, that's, that's the right application of knowledge. Those that are watching, I'll tell you this, they don't care about your theology. They don't care about what you claim to know. They're watching that what you believe actually applies in everyday life, aren't they? So Paul says, walk with wisdom. The right application of knowledge and theology, that's wisdom. And if you'll walk with wisdom, it will open doors to share what you know about Christ. And so Paul actually speaks here about making the best use of our time, redeem the time. You know, time won't go on forever, will it? You're thinking maybe this sermon will. But time will not go on forever. And the time allotted to us in this life, it's not that long, is it? You know, three score and ten. 70 years, it's not a lot of time. The days in front of me already are probably less than the days that are behind me. Some of you already, you're living on borrowed time, aren't you? Uh, we were sharing, Blake was sharing this morning about the 2-7 discipleship course. You know, in the 2-7 course, one of the, one of the things that we work our way through is an article called The Tyranny of the Urgent. How many of you read that? It's an article about discerning urgent things and important things. And the article confronts how our lives are often far more reactionary to things that appear to be urgent. And we set aside important things like important things. Important things are the things that are of great value in this life and they lead to success. Urgent things are those things that demand immediate attention. And the article explains how it's easy to set aside important things that will lead to success and cater to urgent things that are pressing upon you. Like, here's an example. An important thing for me, every day when I get up, is my quiet time. My time of Bible reading and prayer. That's important because I know this. The Word of God instructs this. That is going to lead me to success and it's going to teach me to abide in Christ so that I'm not striving in this life. My quiet time leads to inspiration rather than perspiration. But every morning there's another pressure. It tempts me with the urgent. It's that stinking phone, you know. That iPhone. That Android that every one of us has. Even this morning. 5 a.m. I was up and my phone buzzed the second I was up. I'm like, this is unbelievable. 
Who could be texting me right now? You're all off the hook this morning, okay? It was somebody in another province, so, you know, they didn't get the time. But, uh, you know, what I did? I was actually sitting with my Bible, and I jumped to see what the phone had to say because it buzzed. The phone is demanding our attention. You know, you can pick it up and look at the news, check your email, have a look at social media. But the truth is, none of it's important, is it? My quiet time is important, and I have to learn to discern between the tyranny of what is urgently pressing upon me and that which is actually important. And so Paul says this, you have to know what's important. Make the best use of your time. Redeem the time. The original language actually expresses the idea that you make time your property. You own it. Use it well. To the Ephesians, Paul said this, redeem the time because the days are evil. So we want to use time to the glory of God. Don't, don't put off till tomorrow the important things that should be done today. This reminds me what the word of God says, that grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. That's about time and eternity. And we're like grass. Our time here has a limit set to it. So make the best use of time. Which bugs me when I talk about it. Because I have regrets, don't you? You know, I feel like I've lost time. I didn't make the best use of time. I look back and there's so many things that I wish, man, I, I wish I could hit the redo and do that again. And so there's this call, redeem the time. Make the best use of time. I'd remind you that Jesus even said this, that the night is coming and no one will be able to work. So our days are numbered, and they're short. So don't let it discourage you about the past. Let it motivate you for the future. In fact, written in the front of my Bible, I have it right down there in the bottom corner in my chicken scratch. Three most important things in our life. Number one, God. Number two, people. And number three, the use of your time. Redeem the time. Look at verse six. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Gracious words seasoned with salt. You know, last Monday morning, we were at camp still. It was an awesome camp last week, wasn't it? Camp Doug, such a great time. And uh, I was in the kitchen on the breakfast team, and uh, Julian and I were really focused on taking those leftover potatoes from the night before and making a delicious hash for breakfast. So, you know, we, we, we chopped up all those potatoes. Ezra jumped in there, and we chopped up onions and lots of butter. We sauteed up those onions. We took all the peppers that were in the fridge. We chopped those up. We took, over, we took the leftover breakfast sausage, and we... Uh, cut that up and put it in there. And, and then Julian stood over that griddle and just kept browning it till it was perfect. And I, uh, I mean, I don't want to brag, Julian, but we killed it, buddy. Okay. And um, I, took a, I took a jar of salt and I took the top off it, one of the ones that was on the table, and I dumped it all over the potatoes. And I thought, oh, man, 
I hope I didn't wreck that right there. And then I took a pepper and I did the same thing and it turned out perfect. Turned out perfect. I mean, I don't know what to say, Jillian. We just have to take credit where credit's due. We crushed it, right, buddy? Okay. It was so good. Now, Paul says this. Let your speech be gracious and seasoned with salt. I think about salty speech. You know, we talk about that in our culture. Salty speech in our culture of the world is, is speaking of brash, foul language, right? Being harsh. If something's too salty, it's inedible, isn't it? Our speech is not to be salty, but it's to be seasoned with salt, Paul says. So let me encourage you. Speak well of Christ. Speak well of the church. Speak well of church leaders. Speak well of insiders, fellow believers in Christ. That's just wisdom. Be gracious in your speech. Be gracious in your speech. To me, that means pile unmerited favor onto whatever you're speaking about or whoever you're speaking about. Encourage. Give more than that which is deserved in your speech because those on the outside are probably not going to be very naturally inclined to pick up the Bible, but they're going to listen to what you have to say. They will read what you have to say. Those on the outside are not just watching how you walk. They are listening to how you talk. So if you down talk, if you're a gossip, if you're a slanderer of other people or take pot shots at the church or lip off about those on the inside, listen, the outsiders are listening. And gracious words will actually open doors for you. You don't have to manipulate you don't have to speak falsehoods, but other people notice when you're gracious with your words, aren't they? Don't they? Gracious words is like good seasoning. The meal just goes down better. And good seasoning makes things taste better. And, and the way to season your words is to be gracious in your speech. You know the one problem with that hash last week on Monday, Julian, was this? Is that when we cooked that up, yeah, there was one problem. It was so, the problem was this. It was so good, I went back for seconds. And then I even went back for thirds. And then I was regretting that I'd ate so much and I had to skip lunch when we were leaving camp. So good, I ate too much. And look at, that's what we want our words to be like. That's what we want our speech to be like for those on the outside. Gracious and well-seasoned words. So they come back and say, tell me more. Tell me more about this Jesus. And so Paul, he's been taking us through this great text. Walking with Jesus, putting on the, the new self, tossing away the old. It's not easy. Being a husband or wife, navigating the relationships of parent and children the workplace, none of it's easy. So what do we need? Well, as Paul tells us, we need to be people of prayer. We need to be a, a church that prays. We need to be steadfast in prayer so that we live from the place of inspiration rather than the place of perspiration. And prayer will open doors for the gospel. So church, join us this week for the week of prayer. 
Be wise in how you walk. Be gracious in the way that you talk. Good instruction from the Word of God. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And let's pray. And then we're going to have uh, communion together this morning. Father, we just thank you for your Word. We thank you, Lord, for these practical instructions from Paul. That the call to the place of steadfast prayer, that's not just fluffy, weak instruction. It's instruction that leads to strength. It's instruction that leads to abiding. It's instruction that leads to inspiration. It's instruction that leads to spirit empowerment. It's instruction that leads to wise living and gracious speaking. And so, Lord, we just ask increasingly, make us a people who are steadfast in prayer, watchful in prayer, overflowing, Father, to you in thanksgiving for all of your goodness. And so we thank you, God, this morning for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In a moment, we're going to just sing and invite you to come and receive the communion elements with us. If you're visiting here with us for the first time, it's great to have you here. Um, We have open communion tables, so you're welcome to participate with us. Um, We have one instruction, though, and the instruction is this. That the word of God says, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you you participate in the table of an unworthy manner that you eat and drink judgment upon yourselves. And so the table's open, but I would just say this, because I don't know everybody here. If you don't know Jesus, I just ask that you'd respectfully refrain from participating with us, okay? Just, we won't look down on you. In fact, I actually always think that we really admire people who can do an honest evaluation and say, I probably should not partake. So just community tables open, come and participate with us. But if Jesus isn't your personal Lord and Savior, I just ask that you'd respectfully refrain. But the third option is this. You don't know Jesus and you want to? Well, Jesus came to save you and he loves you. And he wants you to participate in his life that he offers, his body that was broken and his blood that was shed. So that you could have forgiveness of sins and a gift of eternal life. And so I would invite you to do this. You don't know Jesus, but you want to. Then as an act of faith this morning, just say, Lord, I don't totally understand. But I'm coming to participate because I want you in my life, Jesus. I I surrender my life to you. I give my life to you. Okay, so those are the instructions this morning. Is that cool? So let's go out worship. And as you're ready, come receive the communion elements and then we'll partake together.